This is Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast wherein a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find at their local library. For this episode of Welcome to Bibliovile. It's the Terrible Book Exchange Podcast back at you again. Outside of Otherworld, we came back through the portals to bring you the world's worst book exchange. Well, I mean, this book exchange rules, but we find the world's worst books. Mm-hmm. Have I explained the concept enough? To, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I think you better talk about books and terribleness and exchanging several more times. Okay, so exchanging is a term used for giving one thing for another. In this case, we are exchanging books with each other. And these books are terrible. Mm, I think I got it this time. Okay. And we go to our local library. You can play along if you'd like. I don't recommend it. Yeah. So we go to our local library. We each find the worst book that we can. We swap. The other has to read the book that we've picked out. And we don't get to talk about them until we start recording. And I think we're going to have some doozies this episode. Yeah, we're going to have some things to say. Uh, We've been doing this in case you haven't understood from this explanation you can go back and listen to the other explanations because we've been doing this we actually missed for like wicked over a year now Mm -hmm. even like the regular podcast we originally just did it whenever we felt like it turned it into an every other week thing we've been doing it for over a year kind of sort of forgot to mark that occasion but one occasion we didn't forget to mark we celebrated our one year wedding anniversary this weekend Ah, one year wedding anniversary now you know way too much about our personal life. Yeah. Uh, we did You ver- didn't know we were married. We did we did very fun things uh, to celebrate our anniversary like um disc golfing and eating breakfast. It was great. And then um loyal listener Michelle Johnson had gotten us a very nice bottle of wine. I believe when we got engaged, something somewhere around there, and we decided to save it for our 1 year anniversary and so on Sunday night we Settled down in the spare bedroom to play some Civilization and drink our fancy wine. (laughs) Yeah, I get to play video games on my anniversary. Eat it. And it was very nice and we were like talking and having a good time. And then we spent an hour getting a red wine stain out of our carpet, which is a pretty accurate metaphor for marriage. Because mixed big butt. Never trust a big butt and a smile. That's what I say. Mm -hmm. Mixed big butt started causing problems of a different sort this time. And really, yeah. uh, knocked that Olivia Pope wine glass right on over. That's why we usually use plastic, because even if it got spilled, it wouldn't have shattered. Yeah, not only were we getting red wine out of the carpet, we were also getting minuscule shards of glass, which out is of the very carpet. easy to take out of shag carpeting. So easy. It uh, was a lot of fun. One more shout out that we want to give for the one year anniversary. We got to spend time with also loyal listener Charles Barn up in Cedar Falls. Uh, you'll be hearing a little bit more about him at the end of the episode. Uh, I'm sorry. I need to be less specific. Charles B. <laughs> oh, I, uh, C. Bard. Anyway. Um, so let's hop in. I'm going to go first this time since Sue went first of three from our other world series last time. Uh, I read, thanks to Sue, Eve of Chaos by S.J. Day, which mm-hmm. I don't know if I would ever pick a uh, pen name, a nom de plus. But uh, uh, I don't know if I would ever pick a rhyming pen name. And this is coming from a guy named Mick Dickinson. Yeah. But S.J. Day. It just doesn't roll off the yeah. tongue. 
I chose this book for you. I had a really hard time finding a book this time. I think it was just I was still basking in the beautiful glow of Otherworld. And so then I had to go back to finding actual bad books. And I just really, really had a tough time. All I kept finding were bad romances, and that's kind of been done. It's been done. And so I looked in the sci-fi section. I found this mess. And the reason that I picked it out was because of the cover um, a lady in teeny, teeny, tiny gym shorts with a small Daisy sword. Daisy Dukes, thank you or, very much. Yeah, jean shorts, not gym shorts. And um, a small sword and a tube top. And then there's also, like, the flames that you would see on the side of a car. That's the whole That's yeah. the whole cover. My favorite part is that, uh, so there's this woman standing there, and it's like something out of Monsters, Inc., because right the only place her face is is covered up by the mm-hmm. Iowa City Public Library barcode, so it's, you can't even see her face, and I love it. Um, this book was bad. Well, good. That's it, the point of the podcast. Yep. Sue, what was your book about? It was also bad. It oh, was do you also have, do you have things to say about your? No, this book is bad, and it's kind of like a cautionary tale. Maybe my mind's just on other worlds since we just got off of it, but this is. This shows how narrow of a target Otherworld hit really well. Mm-hmm. Where Otherworld is bonkers and it's crazy and you're bouncing from one thing to the next and you just have to take some stuff in stride and be like, okay, I guess this is a thing that happens in Otherworld, but it's all the more fun for that. Yeah. This book is not fun at all. Mm. It is sometimes crazy and bonkers, but that instead of being the gasoline bonkers that Otherworld is... Where it throws it on the flames and just, werewolves. Everything is happening. Yeah. This is just like sludge. Like every step you take, uh, every move you make, every breath you take. It's watching you. No, it's just like quicksand where you take a step and you sink a little bit farther down. Mm. And so it's it gets very impossible to, to move through. So this is called Eve of Chaos. On the back it mentions Satan living with the mark of Cain. Her name is Evangeline Hollis. She goes by Eve. I was extraordinarily terrified that she would be the biblical Eve. Yeah, I was actually hoping that she was going to be the biblical Eve. She is not the biblical Eve. She is what's called... Oh, let's see if I can just read this uh, from the first couple paragraphs. She's not the biblical Eve. We do meet the biblical Eve. (laughs) There's two Eves? Yeah, the biblical Eve we get to meet. Uh, This is the... What's like an epitaph for books? Like the back, the no. Oh, the um, epilogue, not the epilogue, not the prologue, not the epilogue. The, the whatever the literature that goes before. There's a fancy word for it. Yeah, always, like the little quote that yeah. starts off a book. I always remember it when I'm not currently doing this podcast. But that is God will stretch out over Edom the measuring line of chaos and the plumb line of desolation. Isaiah thirty four eleven. You might recognize this as not relating to the book or anything else at all. Just from the Bible. So, good. Off to a good start. I I just want to read the first two paragraphs that, like, if I hadn't said I was a sludge instead of a thing, you'd be really excited about this bonkersness. Mm -hmm. Evangeline Hollis watched with clenched jaw as a kappa demon served yakisoba, Japanese pan-fried noodles, to her mother with a broad smile. Eve guessed that the ratio of morals to demons at the Orange County Buddhist Church's annual Oban Festival was about 50-50. After three months of living with the Mark of Cain and her new, quote, job, quote, as a celestial bounty hunter, Eve was resigned to the reality of infernals mingling undetected among mortals. 
However, she was still surprised by the number of transplanted Japanese demons who had come out to play at the festival. There seemed to be an inordinate amount of them present. So, Evangeline Hollis has been marked with the mark of Cain, which is a thing, I, I've, you know, Cain and Abel, mm-hmm. where uh, Cain slays Abel and then is it forever marked throughout the rest of his life. I actually went back and read the Bible because this book makes some claims that I had to check. Nowhere in the King James Version does it say anything about him being marked. He just, his, his food won't grow anymore. Well, uh, by the way, do you, before we get into it, uh, no, let's get into it a little bit. Okay. So she's a bounty hunter. She's marked with the mark of Cain. It's her job to find and kill demons that have a bounty placed upon them. Although she's always working, living, walking around with demons. And so every so often a voice in her head is like, that one! She has to go kill it, I guess. Which sounds like schizophrenia and insanity yeah. to me. But, uh... uh she is working for God, I guess. She is not very religious or not very faithful. She's there. She did something in her past to receive this as kind of like a penance. And then when she fulfills her stuff, she gets into heaven instead of going to hell. I, it wasn't really explained. This is the third book. Thank you, Susan. You're welcome. But anytime she is somewhat dating biblical Cain. Like, okay yeah he's he's now an angel he's not a human being like he was in the bible because uh-huh. then he'd be dead yeah he's now an angel and he's in fact an archangel which he was recently promoted to because a different archangel was sent to hell or captured and by demons or whatever i don't presumably something that happened in another book hopefully uh she is also working with uh and dating somewhat uh abel his brother who is also an angel oh but here's the really fun thing Cain and Abel, possibly the third and fourth, uh, we'll call it fourth and fifth, most famous characters in the Old Testament. Yeah, in like any sort of text, right? Yeah. So like probably Jesus, numero uno. Yeah. And then Adam and Eve, bam, right out there in the in the forefront. And then Cain and Abel are like the next two people to be mentioned in the entire Bible. Mm-hmm. So you got some of the two most famous people in Western literature mm-hmm. in your book. You know what you should do? Rename them. She renamed the author S.J. Day. Uh, so I don't know if I'm going she or he. The author renames Cain and Abel to Alec and Reed. Why? So it's Alec. Then what's the point of them being Cain and Abel? If yeah, you're going to change well, they're them. still like mad at each other, but it's here's what's really fun. They switch all the time between like I felt like I was reading Tolstoy, and everyone had like five names because. Sometimes they call it Alec, sometimes they call him Cain, sometimes they call him Reed, sometimes they call him Abel. And so it's like, you call them Cain and Abel, I get a pretty, I've come to this table with some already good understandings about who your characters are. And how they're going to relate to each other. And how they're going to relate to each other. But when it's like, oh, Alec walked in the room and glared at Reed, I'm like, was it Alec that killed Reed originally, or is it Reed that killed Alec, or what's going on here? Why rename Cain and Abel. Yeah. They're Cain and Abel. And even then, keep it consistent. I I could not keep track of which one we are talking about because I'm pretty sure on more than one occasion it was Reed, Cain, and Alec, Abel, or whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. and why make Abel and Alec different people if you're just going to be like, well, Abel's a pretty famous name and I wanted to get by in the modern world, so I changed my name a little bit. Like, fine, dumb, but fine. But But, keep it consistent and use that consistently. Yeah, now you have just made two names that sound alike for different people Mm -hmm. that work side by side. Whatever. So she's kind of banging these angels. She's banged both of them brothers. 
And uh, our main character, by the way, not a good person. Not very smart, not very hardworking. And it's not like a uh, uh, fallible kind of thing yeah. with like a inconsistent character and you're supposed to kind of like root for them like a anti-hero or anything. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's painted as like she's doing her, like she's someone that we should be excited about and root for. And she's not a good person. Throughout this book, what I've made through of it, uh, she's constantly wants to bang both Cain and Abel, which is like, first of all, uh, don't do that to brother. Like, why yeah. are you trying to date two people at the same time? That's bad and wrong. So she tries to break up with both of them. Neither of them accept it, which whole different thing that I'll get to. Abel, I don't fucking know. Cain, like, I can't, I can't tell who's who in this story. Kane is becoming an asshole even more than the murderous asshole we know from the Bible. And there's some things about, like, his inner demons are popping out and he doesn't mm-hmm. know. It's bad. And I didn't get to why that's happening because this book sucks. And it's actually very long. Thanks, Susan. Sorry about it. You also got me a really long yeah, book. Yeah, I know. But so I have to keep looking. Kane finally is like, well, if you don't want to date me, I don't want to date you. But he's trying to be too cool for her to get her back. And she gets hurt and leaves. And he's now... the middle half of the book is him moping which is like whatever and so uh, the day that happens she goes and bangs his brother abel and knowing that they're going to be mad at each other and probably kill each other because they do that over the centuries Mm -hmm. because they they've always been doing it famous characters from fiction um and it's like that's bad you're like no it's not that you finally are free or you discovered something in yourself it's like you were hurt and now you're using sex as a weapon without any sort of regard for other people's feelings plus both cain and abel can mentally communicate with eve which is a whole nother bag of worms and so they know it's happening and it's terrible (laughs) um so she's not a good person do you by the way know Cain and Abel, the story of Cain and Abel. And the basics. Like what? Um, I went back and actually read it. for this. That they were brothers and Cain killed Abel. Was this? This wasn't the one about the coat. That was Joseph, right? Yeah. I don't one know why. I don't know. I don't know why Cain killed Not Abel. Not the Joseph. I just know that it happened. Yes. So Cain and Abel are Eve and Adam and Eve's sons, mm-hmm. right? I believe Cain is the older one. I don't know. But the point is, is that Cain was a farmer and Abel a, like, a, a shepherd or someone who kept livestock, mm-hmm. right? So this is back in the Old Testament, and you have to offer sacrifices unto Jehovah, uh, which the name Jehovah I'll get to. But, uh, uh, so, Abel slays livestock as, a, as an offering. Cain is a farmer, gives up, like, grain and food. God finds the sacrifice of like food and crops wanting he prefers the livestock and so cain is hurt by this rejection and slays abel in the field like that's as much detail as mm-hmm. they get and i mean so she's like well he killed it because god is kind of mad at him i guess mm-hmm. or he was mad at god i don't know but it's the first murder and then cain grows up to uh, uh he actually like gets a minute to defend himself in the bible which i thought was pretty fun but uh he then goes and marries another woman it's like, who's the other woman? Uh, not Adam and Eve's daughter. Yeah. <laughs> She's just kind of there. Anyway, um, so that's the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, to hear this book, Cain and Abel uh, are angels instead of men. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of swearing and sex in this book, including angels having sex with each other. 
And every single thing in this book is self-defeating, self-conflicting, not true at all inside the fiction. It just says things. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make any effort to match up anything else. Like archangels, excuse me, archangels can't feel love. Okay. But... And and one of the brothers is now yeah, an archangel. And is obviously kind of in love or cares for Eve. Yeah. And Marks can't feel any emotion but desire for violence or for sex. Because sex is what keeps them human or something. And it's just a, it's a sloppy kind of effort to have romance and sex in your book that isn't very good. But throughout the book, she feels scared and happy and angry and every other emotion. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why say this thing if, if you, the like, rest of your book isn't yeah, going to back it up? There's so many rules that just don't apply or make sense or ever work. Mm-hmm. And the marks are bounty hunters for demons and they make sure that de- like god's okay with demons existing on earth apparently but as long as they don't act up and satan doesn't want him to act up he wants them to kind of infiltrate earth and then cause havoc right mm-hmm. raise cain huh. uh-huh. huh. um but then we run into other marks who are like security guards and secretaries and it's like it's not really a havoc causing profession no that's not really like a bounty hunting profession or a thing you can work out of because also there are seven archangels on earth uh as like kind of the middle managers of heaven i guess oh and they have their bosses that they report to and then the archangels give orders down so heaven is the bureaucracy yeah and each of these seven archangels have like firms (laughs) and each of the firms apparently has a secular job so is god just the hr manager like no he's like the boss and i don't really know and satan's down there and there's like 18 different names that they use for satan except sometimes asmodeus is a different devil but beelzebub is satan and satan is satan and some other samuel is satan like and so everyone has like five different names and they're i you never know when they're getting interchanged at these firms which are like skyscrapers uh also demons work at these firms for god why would the demons work for God? Because they don't like the devil either. I don't know. It, it's bad and no good. And I don't even know why I'm talking about this anymore. But like, this is bonkers and crazy. But instead of being otherworld, like slap you on the ass, like get out there and get them kind of crazy. Yeah. Everyone spends their time being immortal angels or semi-immortal handler, or demon hunter, demon bounty hunter things. Instead of like doing demon hunting and being angels they're like moping about their relationships to each other and coming to grips with ambition and trying to double and triple and quadruple cross each other like there's no action in this book there's a demon killed within the first 20 pages and by the time i stopped i I tried to skip ahead but i couldn't do it because it didn't make any sense tried to skip ahead starting on page 226 by the page 226 Guess how many demons have been killed? Just that one. Just that one. You know what this reminds me of? Do you remember probably eight or ten episodes ago, I read a book called The Grimrose Path? Yes. This reminds me of that a lot. Like the demons and the archangels and nothing really making a whole lot of sense and a general sense of anger about the book. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely terrible. Um, the writing is also pretty bad, just like Grimm's, I don't think it's as bad as Grimrose Path, because that was pretty terrible. Um, but there's a couple parts that just, like, you could tell she want, the author wanted to spice up the Mm -hmm. writing. 
Um, and so everyone looks really stupid. Like Alec is has like a mullet and like Why? wears like a white tank top. Why would and you Oakley's around his he's like a redneck angel, but he's he's perfect looking. Oh, and then, no, he's not. If he has a mullet, and then, then he's not perfect. And looking. then, uh, what did I say? Alec, the other one, Abel, Reed, whatever. Who gives a shit? Uh, Reed dresses always in three-piece Armani suits, which the three-piece suit is like the quintessential in. It's okay if you wear it once, but to always be wearing it, you look like a dingus instead of some yeah. sexy whatever. But like some of the writing is pretty terrible where also one of like the the angels we might have heard about if we read deep into the bible comes and he's like the voice of god and so he's really bright and whatever and he's the he's the boss of the arcane i don't care uh wears spiked boots cool cool not and then like a toga on top um someone smiles and we are told that his lips curled in a mirroring movement mirroring movement as in like the two corners of his smile smiled mirroringly to each other why is that the phrase that we use to describe a smile? Yeah. There's a word for that. You smile. It's smile. It, like, who smiles asymmetrically? <laughs> Probably me sometimes. No, like, that's a smirk or something. Yeah. And so, it... I don't even know where to go with how terrible the writing in this can be. For the most part, it's just bad. But the main part, main part is that the story goes nowhere, does nothing. I went back and read the Bible. And the Bible had more characters doing things and less <laughs> standing around and talking about unnecessary information. And the you were Bible, reading the Old Testament. The Old Testament had more action than this book. This book was a lot like walking up a down escalator. That you had to do a lot of work and you might be making progress, but it's like way more work than you should need to do. Only like one in every 30 paragraphs does, like on average, does mm-hmm. anything for the quote unquote plot. Yikes. It's absolutely just like... And the story inside the writing, bad but sometimes mm-hmm. just the the characters, either their thoughts or their opinions or their actions aren't just, like, flawed. They're bad and gross and not right. I almost quit on page 79, uh, which is pretty early to stop because this is almost a 400-page book. Uh, but this happened, and it's really gross. So she's talking to Reed, which is Abel. Who she, I don't know. I don't know what their relationship is because it is contradictory throughout the entire book. They have not slept together in a while. He pulled off his shades and stared our, stared at her with hard eyes. Oh. I don't know what that means. I don't either. I've played this game by your rules. Now you're telling, she's breaking up. She's trying to break up with him. Now you're telling me the board is getting put away before I score? F that. Eve gaped. Don't tell me I owe you a screw. This is an angel talking to you. Gross. Damn straight, and I'm collecting. Give, she says back, give Sarah a different angel, a booty call if you're hard up enough to blackmail someone for sex. She snapped. I've been celibate for you. You owe me. Celibate for her? That was the response. They're like, he's been celibate for me? 
Not gross. Not like the absolute terribleness of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just like to take this opportunity to remind everyone that no is a complete sentence. Yeah. And it's the end of the, it, is, it is the end of the the uh, everything. Conversation. Yep. Uh also describing one of the brothers, I don't even know, and I don't care. Uh, he was an impossible, like, this is this book in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Just driven down to the smallest possible lens, this represents this book. He was an impossibly handsome man. Physically perfect. Sentence fragment. But it was his imperfections that really did a number on her. What imperfections? He was physically perfect. You just said he was perfect. It, like, how can you follow up one sentence with the other sentence? Also, I really love that that is the go-to physical description for any character in any bad book. He was physically perfect. He had no imperfection. Like, all these things that are supposed to imply that someone is beautiful and attractive Attractive. without describing them at all. Yeah, it makes it very easy. He has a great chin and and beautiful eyes. What's that look like to you, reader? I don't care. Anyway, uh, one of the angels says this. Making love is for girls. Guys, fuck. <laughs> like, I couldn't help Gross. it. I couldn't help but read it in that voice. We'll do what, like, you're an angel. I don't, I like, who is this book for, yeah. by the way? The penitent, or like the faithful floozy? Like, who is like, you know what I really want in my semi-religious novels? Doing Gross it. sex. Gross sex. And seduct, ugh. Not to mention profanity. Anyway, guys, fuck. We'll do whatever it takes to get into the pants of a woman we've got a heart on for. That sounds like really angelic behavior. That's not like, number one, not true. Number two, extraordinarily stereotypical. Number three, not angelic behavior. Number four, bad writing. Who Like, no one ever says anything like that. Yeah. It's like, hi, I'm S. Trawman. Anyway, I it felt like I've been reading this book for years. The one highlight... Of this book that I actually legitimately kind of enjoyed is mm-hmm. that Cain goes home to this like quasi heaven. That's like not quite up to heaven, but it's not on earth or whatever. Ooh, baby. Anyway, it goes to see his parents, Adam and Eve, which I thought was kind of funny. And yeah. He's like visiting home. And Adam and Eve still live on like a farm and it's kind of they're dressed and act like 40s and 50s farmer archetypes, which I thought was All kind right. of fun. That's kind of fun. And Adam is like has a mule hooked up to a plow and he's like wiping the sweat off his brow and everything. And Eve's inside with like cool iced tea. That was kind of fun. <laughs> All right, that's yeah. yeah. You got me on that one. Except then it goes and calls them Abba and Eba in text at the same time. And it's like, okay, Hebrew I, or Aramaic, I guess. But like, once again, you've got two of the most famous people in Western literature and you're changing their name. Yeah. It's Adam and Eve guys. We shouldn't have to, whatever. Um, we meet Satan. And this is once again, just like a a good way to tell that this book is not very good. Because nothing about this rings true about any human interaction ever. The Prince of Hell was impossibly beautiful. So we don't have to describe him. He's impossibly beautiful. Yeah. Far more so than even Sabriel. I don't know who that is. (laughs) His skin shimmered as if coated with gold dust. Shiny black hair fell halfway down his back, rippling and writhing with a life of its own. The silky tresses moved sinuously, covetously, caressing him as a lover would, 
framing a face that could not have been more perfect. His irises flickered like flames, while his mouth curved in a smile that was terrifying for its seductiveness. The urge to undress and spread her legs for him was strong enough to tug Eve forward one step. Gross. Like, hey, a beautiful man. Oh, bleh, I, like, better take my pants off. I have seen a lot of people on the street and on the internet and on Instagram and everywhere that are doing their best to look as beautiful as possible. Nowhere ever have I involuntarily took a step yeah it's not a human thing to be like that person's really beautiful come at me like so so pretty good book overall no (laughs) how far did you make it before you started skipping page 226 and then i skipped ahead and it was just talking about all the deals they had made previously sometimes coming true not coming true whatever the entire book is not Fist fights and guns and mm-hmm. swords and silver and angelic flames. Yeah. It's obtuse horse trading where, like, we are not led into the characters' minds as to what the end result they want is or what their plan is. They're just going and talking to people that they should not be making alliances with. Making alliances and, like, crossing their fingers behind their back or struggling to keep a straight face. And I hope they can't see through me. But we don't know what they want, what they're going to do, when they're going to double cross, what they think the options are, what they're... Ugh! It's impossible to get through because from problem happening, then you have to get to plan making, and then you have to get to improbable... I never even got to this stage. I read probably more than halfway through the book, and mm-hmm. I never saw a plan to come f- to fruition. And your patience... That which I have for this terrible book just runs out because mm-hmm. you're like, nothing is happening. You're just stacking chips onto the table and eventually that pile is just going to fall over because I don't have the interest in straightening it all the time. That you have exhausted my mental energy for keeping track of who you're working with, why, what your alternative motives are, what your true motives are, what your professed motives are, what like who even you are, first of all, that I skipped to like three quarters of the way through the book hoping to kind of like make it to the ending and see how that works i don't know i don't know how it ends she like has a deal with satan all of a sudden and like is gonna have to figure out a way of this one and the archangels are plotting against each other and god's not there for everything that i read and mortals are making plans It, it it it's obtuse hard trading in which we do not get to see the board of how many horses there are what the horses cost in in the whole scheme. What the horses are named. Who's buying the horses. Who's even at the market. Where the hell we are. It's bad. It's a bad book. Don't read it. So it's interesting because I feel like without us planning it, this happens a lot. Because all of those things that you were just saying about your patience wearing through, a lot of things being really irrelevant... All of that is exactly how I felt about my book. Well, now I get to throw my notebook over my shoulder and the book over my shoulder because I'm done reading it. And I get to take it back to the library. I like that you threw your notebook pretty nicely onto the couch and you just chucked the book (laughs) over your shoulder onto (laughs) the floor. (laughs) So, Sue, let me take a deep breath, recover from my I do have to say, 
you started shouting pretty loudly there, and I just can't even imagine what our neighbors think about this whole deal. Well, they should, they should know how to feel about shouting. Fair. Um, I read Flex by Ferret Steinmetz. Is that really the author's name? That's, Ferret? That is the name that is on the book. I sincerely doubt it is actually the author's I name. I feel like we have a name to add to our Bibliophile Terrible Book Generator, and also a Japanese baseball game. Mm-hmm. Ferret Steinmetz? Ferret Steinmetz. And Ferret Steinmetz wrote Flex. It was very bad and very long, and it could have been about 200 pages shorter and still accomplished the same amount of things (laughs) that it accomplished. So, Flex, this book is set in a world where there's a magic that exists called Mancy. And Mancy... (laughs) No, I'm sorry. B, as in butthole. What do we do here? And M, as in Mancy. Mancy. Just Mancy. Mancy. Just Mancy. Can I explain to you why I uh, picked this book for you? Am yeah. I spoiling a punchline if I say it? Probably not. Okay. I picked this book for you. Number one, Flex, there is a girl on fire on the, mm-hmm. on the, sp- the whatever. Flex. This is from the book. F- back of the book. Flex. Distilled magic in its crystal form. The most dangerous drug in the world. Snort it and you can create incredible coincidences to live the life of your dreams. Paul... Sabo? Is mm-hmm. that how you're going to go with it? Paul Sabo. The everyday... I'm like, all right, okay. So far, so whatever. But Paul Sabo, the everyday bureaucromancer. He does magic through bureaucracy. And then in there, I took the book off the shelf and went to go find Susan. Bureaucromancer. So, there are different types of Mancy. M as in what? Mancy. <laughs> Mancy is a kind of magic (laughs) that originates through obsession. So when an individual becomes so obsessed with something like death metal music, video games, um, or in Paul's case, paperwork, that that obsession develops into a type of magic. And they can use that obsession to bend the world and, and bend the universe to do what they want. But whenever you, whenever a mancer, that's what they're, the people who use mancy are called, whenever a mancer practices his mancy, he builds up this sort of like, basically it's described as like you are manipulating the universe with your magic and the universe gets mad and you build up this backlash that they call the flux. And the flux is basically like if you use your magic, something bad is going to ricochet back onto you. And so mancers have to figure out, kind of, yeah, have to kind of figure out how to deal with this flux in order to use their magic. Some mancers use their magic to create a drug where basically they take their magic and they distill it. Are they obsessed with dealing drugs? No, no, no. They use their obsession. So there's a character who's a- Walter Whitomancy? There's a character who's a video game mancer. That's called hacking. She- you're an aimbot. She distills her video game Mancy. into crystals and creates flex, which is the drug. Ah, uh, obviously normal, crystals. Normal non-mancer people can take flex and they don't get Mancy. the powers, but they can basically like, it's, I, I kind of likened it to, do you remember um, in one of the Harry Potter books, there's a potion about liquid luck? Nope. 
So you can like take this potion and basically you become lucky for a oh, short period like of the, time. Uh, like the X-Men long shot, whose mutation was that he was very lucky. Well, that's a great mutation. That's a very stupid mutation. Um, But so when you you take this flex, like basically any shot you take is going to make it like whatever you want to have happen is it's going to work out for you. But if you take this drug, you also eventually have to deal with the backlash, the flux. And Paul Sabo, our main character, he used to be a cop. And part of his job was to hunt down mancers. Mancers can be very dangerous, especially if their magic is uncontrolled. What if a cop gets so obsessed about hunting mancers that he becomes a mancer? He's a copomancer. That's basically what happens to Paul. So, Except for paperwork. Oh, Jesus. So, He's the most boring person in the world. He really is. So Paul was a cop. He tracked I'm down this mancer. The mancer that he was tracking down wound up being a little girl. And he was like really fascinated by her magic. But then through an accident, he wound up killing her. He was supposed to catch her. He decided not to, and he wound up killing her. He got administrative leave for it. The public basically (laughs) regarded him as this huge hero. And they were like, he killed this mancer. He's the best, blah, blah, blah. Um, But he also lost a foot in the accident. And so he couldn't be a cop anymore. So he started working for Samaritan Mutual, which is an insurance company. Foot flex flux. Yep. And he became so obsessed with this paperwork, um, and and part of what he does for the insurance company is determining whether or not various accidents have happened because of M, as in Mancy. And so through this paperwork, he finds mancers. And because he becomes so obsessed with this paperwork, he himself becomes a mancer, practicing bureaucracy. I'm sorry, sister. You were telling me that this book... The protagonist, the man we are supposed to root for, enjoy, mm-hmm. and watch throughout this book grow and mm-hmm. act, is an insurance agent yep. that loves paperwork. Yep. That is an actuariomancer. He's no, like he's a, a bureaucromancer. He's, he's, like right he's like a pivot tables omancer. Yep. An, an Excel spreadsheet omancer, yeah. An Excel omancer, yeah. A tempomancer. Mm-hmm. That are our representation in this world which to its credit sounds kind of interesting this balancing of scales like the dark sun D expansion our window into that world is a white collar boring person. yes and he sucks jesus so in the opening chapters of the book we learn about paul and his backstory um paul is also in the middle of divorce he has a six-year-old daughter named alaya and due to a neighbor a upstairs that had taken a huge amount of flex, the flux backlash on him and the building that Paul lives in explodes. <laughs> so, Just the building? Spontaneously combust? Like, yeah. No pipeline or anything? It's something to do with pipes. The building explodes. Something to do with pipes, I think. But Paul's daughter, Aliyah, is burned very, very badly. Explains the cover. And so... Paul works for this insurance company. The insurance company naturally tells him that they're not going to cover her reconstructive surgery. Mm. And so he's trying to find a way to save his daughter. So Single he decides um, that he know he has three different options. Um, he can find the person who made the flux that destroyed or the flex that destroyed the building, the drug dealer they, that, he that had to have done that on purpose. That. Ferret. Um, so mad at you. Whose, whose name that we find out somehow, uh, her name is Anathema. Is that how you say that Anathema. word? Anathema. Anathema. That's like a thing. That's not just a name. Yeah. 
What's that word mean? It's um, like the the opposite of something, right? Or like the 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 poison of something. No, no, no. Look it up. Okay. So he he decides that option A is to find Anathema and have her teach him how to use his bureaucromancy and be more effective with it so that he can use his bureaucromancy to get the insurance company to help his daughter. Okay? Anathema means something or someone that is detested or shunned. Oh, well, so, that makes some sense. So he's going to use his paperwork magic to fill out the paperwork hella good. Yeah. Then his second option, well... I'm exhausted. After he does that, after Anathema teaches him how to use his bureaucromancy, then he's going to kill her for revenge. His second <laughs> option is to have Anathema teach him how to make flex so that he can earn enough money to pay for her sur- Elias' surgery himself. Um, so I guess it's just two options, right? So those are the two things that he decides. It's breaking bad, but bad, but terrible. Breaking worse. But here's the really interesting thing. No, so I highly doubt that. No, no, not not like about the book. Well, not about the plot. So we have this whole really involved thing that the probably middle 150 to 200 pages. Too many pages. 420 page book are all about. Paul and this woman named Valentine, who's the video game mancer, learning how to make flex, finding a dealer, getting all this money, getting into some trouble with that. All of this stuff involving flex and a drug dealer named Gonzo and the video game mancer named Valentine, who's just his friend and not his girlfriend, right? And like, actually, just does he ever say anything like, I am the one who stamps? No, you see someone stamp the document and you think I am the one who filled out the document? No, I am the one who stamps. I actually would have liked this book a lot better if there were some, like, bureaucracy puns in there. But they didn't even, like, it was kind of like you said with yours. It was so dense and so much bonkers shit happens. And they didn't even make it fun. Yeah. Like, it was just a slog. But so all of this stuff with the drug dealer and learning how to make the flex and all this stuff. And the RV. None of it is relevant to the main plot line. You could have taken out everything to do with the drug flex and all of that other stuff. And you could have still had the core plot of this book without any of that. You still could have had the Mancy and Anathema and getting his, trying to get his daughter fixed and all that kind of stuff. You didn't, you didn't need any of that. And so I feel like that whole extra 200 pages with the, the drug and like, I feel like it was A, trying to turn it into Breaking Bad and B, so that you could name your book Flex. Those were the only reasons for the entire middle half of your book. Hell, you could write a book about gas pipes exploding and your daughter gets burned and your own insurance agency won't cover it. Yeah. Welcome to the real world. Yeah, I was going to say that just kind of sounds like a Tuesday. Club going up Um, on a Tuesday. But so... This book could have been way shorter than it was. There were also some weird pauses for social commentary about things like poverty, inequality, modern society, and overpopulation, but not like themes that were woven well into the book. Just like we're going to have a page and a half interlude where Anathema talks about how she's trying to kill off all these people because of overpopulation and we weren't meant to live in large cities. I hate overpopulation as a theme. Yeah. It's stupid. Yeah, it's like so many things in this it's book just, it's were like, super unnecessary. It's a direct line to eugenics, almost always. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, this book sucks. So Anathema 
is our big baddie in the book, and she is trying to systematically wow. wipe Suddenly out named. a whole bunch of people. Um, in I believe it's set in New York City. It's probably bad that I don't know that for sure. But so she's trying to systematically wipe out all these people. She she started with killing one person with her flex. And then more every time she kills, it's double the amount of people that were killed the last time. So Is she like OCD? Yeah. Or? Oh. Yeah. And like very like systematic in her plan. And her her final one of her final plans, the the big climax that we're leading up to, is that she has actually poisoned all of the water bottles at this outdoor festival with the flex so that Apparently, with her flex, that will give her control over the people that drink the water that's infected with her flex, which was never mentioned anywhere else in the book. And so then she can tell all of those people, those thousands of people at the festival who have drank this water, to go, each of them needs to go out and kill 500 people. And she's going to basically cause this big riot and all these people, people are going to die good in New York City. To, I don't think people are good enough to kill 500 people. Also... Anathema, is she like an evil omancer? Because she's obsessed with evil, a um, death omancer? He refers to her as a paleomancer because she wants to go back to like caveman times and that kind of society. I don't really know where he gets that from, but that's how Paul describes her. Paul decides that he has figured out with how to his bureaucracy, thank God how to end the book, but also how to... Make it so that the water was never poisoned in the first place. I'm done. <clears throat> I'm With, done. No, I... No, it gets... It, Nick? Yes? It's going to get worse. Oh, God. Buckle up. No. Buckle up, Mom. I want to go through the windshield on this one. So, Paul uses his bureaucracy to basically go back, and he... It's never clear how this works. Basically, Paul sits down and just starts, like, creating a form... And then thinks about what he wants to happen. And then apparently it just sort of happens. And so Paul... So he doesn't even have to like create form A12 for no. unfluxing. No. Jesus. Paul uses his bureaucracy. His paperwork goes back in time. And um, through the different vendors and licensing agreements for all of the drink stalls makes it so none of that poisoned water ever got to the festival in the first place. And then all of a sudden he just pushes that thought through and that's how it is. It never was. And none of those people that had been poisoned were poisoned and none of the death and destruction that happened actually happened. So wait, no, 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 no. It's no. just so, all, it just all went away. So it never actually happened. So Anathema's plan comes to fruition. It's yeah. not like Paul knows it's going to no, happen and it prevents it. it came to fruition that people were poisoned, there were gunshots, people were going berserk. And then Paul just snapped of his fingers so then does so like it never happened. the entire state of Florida just like explode all the way to the moon? This is... This is what's really going to get you. That by undoing a different flux, he, he does not cause his own? So, this, what what Paul has done, like, it, it is described in the book as, like, a, a gigantic, really, really intense piece of magic, right? Like, yes. this is a huge he change. Everything. He When he decides to do this, he is acknowledging that he is, he is going to die. That the flux is going to kill him, right? So. What happens if you kill yourself first? So this is he, it like death? He does, he's got to do next to Ken. I, I don't know. 
Um, he does this. He pushes this new world onto him. Uh, on Onto the world, right? And I'm going to read. This is going to be kind of a long thing, right? Hmm. Paul sighed in relief. Then the flux hit him in a way he never could have conceived. Let's see. Um, this risked obliteration. He had altered time, and as payback, the universe wanted to expunge him from history, blank him, strangle him as a sperm. The forms caught fire, crumbling to ash with papery little cries. What do you fear? The flux asked. Not Wait, so much a voice. Wait, the flux is like a personification? Not until right now. Oh, God. What do you fear? The flux asked. Not so much a voice as a cellular command akin to death. Paul mentally patted his pockets. He found not one speck of regret. Nothing, he said. It was true. He'd thwarted a killer, saved the park, saved thousands from being chewed to pieces, and did it all through other people's strength. Maybe Aliyah would die. Maybe he never would have existed. But it was worth it. He felt a beatific grace. This freedom made it clear how saturated his life was with tiny terrors. It was ephemeral, a soul-cleaning epiphany that couldn't last. Wait, did we skip paragraphs? No. This is apparently what the flux feels like because he has no regrets. Okay? Uh, Paul bathed in the purity of having no regrets. The flux pushed past Paul's defenses, puzzled. It searched him for the thing that must be set right in order to rebalance the universe. And when it found no sense of outrage, it agreed. The threads of time solidified around Paul, radiating out from Samaritan Mutual to New York to rocket out to the sky, spreading one thought of humanity to cold galaxies that had never known human life. The flux dissipated. I don't know. I don't know what that is even trying to say. The flux dissipated, withdrawing as though it had been embarrassed to even arrive. Paul reached out after it, confused, and then stopped. The flux isn't a law, he realized, shivering with understanding. It's a counter-argument. Magic is a conversation with the universe about how the world should be, and I convinced it. Safe. He'd made the world safe. So, this gigantic piece of history rewriting huge complex magic that this guy does even though he really doesn't have any idea how to use his own magic he's supposed to have crushing wipe him out of the world completely consequences for it and he just doesn't like i have complained before in these books about the cop-outs and like the lack of consequences and how things are just sort of written out and this is the worst example this huge thing that has happened that this whole dumb book has been leading up to and there are no consequences. This entire book that's supposed to be about consequences for magic and for manipulation, there are no consequences for this huge thing that happens. Just nothing. Oh, but you did it. You did it for a good cause, so it's fine. This book's terrible. It's terrible. I so my overall thought about Flex, what was the point? What was the point of any of it? Nothing about the paragraphs you read. Number one, matter. Number two, make any sense. Like, I didn't even read the rest of the book, and it's like going to galaxies with human. Um, there was no mention of space ever. Um the flux was not personified was until like, that paragraph and that was on page 397 out of 423 do you think that this book was so much about math that the author was like i better do some and then this book was written in the throes of like a meth high maybe maybe that's the only way it makes sense okay say for argument that 
it, the flux gets really mad and this book carries out consequences for what's in his life like the consequences would be that he was undone from history right yeah thereby preventing him from doing the thing in the first place thereby not preventing him like even if this book had worked it wouldn't work this is like the only the only thing that i think would have made sense within the weird set of logic that operates within this book is if paul did this thing and then he died. And the like the backlash, the flux killed him. Like that at least would have made some sense within the the paradigm that you've set up in this book. Like he had to deal with the consequences of this big magic that he did and it killed him. But he knew that when he did it, and he did it to save the world and his daughter and whatever. He's this big hero. Um and I feel like that would have fit in better because through the whole book he talks about the whole world thinks he's this big hero because he killed that mancer and he feels really bad about it. And so now at the end of the book, it's his redemption story. He gets to do something that he feels actually makes him a hero. And it kills him. Sure. It's at least a better ending for this book than... Nothing happens. I guess he survives. Nothing happens. And then the epilogue is just sort of like, all right, guess I gotta go back to work and... Um, figure out how to keep my kid or, like, get reconstructive surgery for my kid. Jesus. I'm exhausted. Like... These books were tiring. I don't even have, like, anger anymore. They were just dumb. Can we just read only Otherworld? No, because then it's not Bibliobile anymore. We have to change the name of the podcast. Poop. That wouldn't be a very good name for a podcast. <laughs> um. So, wow. Jesus. I'm going to go lay down for a little bit, but before I do, I'm going to close out this podcast. My name has been Mick Dickinson. Uh, next week, we're very excited about this. You heard us mention this man's name. Uh, Charles Barton should be coming on the, sh- the show. He's been a loyal listener since day one for our wedding, which was one year ago, mm-hmm. roughly. Uh, his present to us was a copy of Obama's America already placed in a trash can. <laughs> Uh, which was pretty great. We needed the trash can. However, Obama's America was uh, unreturnable. <laughs> so it's still currently sitting on our bookshelf, unfortunately. But he will be coming on. We'll be doing a little triangle trade. Uh, hopefully he's in studio. I understand that Michelle came through acceptably. Uh, but I'll be doing some more research to find out how we can get her better on the show next time Otherworld pops up. Uh, we're hoping he's in studio. So very exciting thing to look forward to next week. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, share this podcast with your friends. Uh, this one got a little angry, so you can actually, like, show your friends, like, here's some people yelling about how bad it, well, here's one person yelling about how bad a book is, and the other one calmly explaining its terribleness while the other fumes. Uh, it's always fun. You've probably got places to drive people to see. I don't know. Play it. Share it. Love it. I love you. Anyway, um, I'm your co-host, Susan Dickinson. You can follow me on Twitter at Susan J. That's S with three U's. S-A-N-J. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dickima, D-I-C-K-I-M-A-A. The intro music to this podcast is uh, Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. Um, feel free to follow us on SoundCloud, give us a review on iTunes, subscribe, tell your friends, Smash all that, that like good button. stuff. Yeah, so until next week, thank you for listening. Have a good night, man.